Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit celebrationchurchlive.com. We're in the uh, fifth part of our series on calling shotgun, where we're looking at what it looks like to call shotgun in our own lives, to make the decision to let Jesus be fully Lord in our lives and and that there's a, a challenge in that. Um, you know, there are times that we can sit there and ha- call shotgun for a little bit and say, okay, I don't quite know what to do in this moment. Yeah, I'll let you, but as soon as things kind of stable out, I kind of want to be in control again. Um, but for us to really live the lives God has called us to live, we have to embrace this thing called his lordship and we want to begin to to grow in that and to step into that in a deeper way if you've got your um, bulletin there your bible app however it is you're going to track along we've led with this idea that letting jesus drive or letting him be lord it's the most liberating thing that we can do and i get it lordship and freedom don't feel like they go hand in hand but only in the hands of jesus does that work Every other thing we let be Lord is going to bring a prison to us. Even you. You try to be Lord, you're going to build your own prison. But when we let him be Lord, he's the one that takes us into freedom. Why? Because we're going to see over the next couple of months that it was for freedom that he set us free. And it's only him as Lord can lead us into that space. We've been looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And uh, let's look at it again. That therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. That's the lens we're looking at. That's what gives us the boldness to let him be Lord is because we know he's merciful. If we look at him through the lens of mercy, we're like, okay, he's going to respond to me in a merciful way. In the places where I'm not quite doing what even I know I should do, let alone the things I'm oblivious that I don't need to be doing. Because guess what? We all have them. We are just oblivious. And there are points of discipleship he will bring up in a couple of years. And he's just letting you just kind of move along. But there are places we know that we need some alignment. We know we need some adjustment. And letting him into that space isn't all of a sudden letting a taskmaster, an angry, frustrated God into that space. No, it's a merciful God. And his response to us in that, it's going to be merciful. It's going to be able to turn us loose, to be able to let us be free. So therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Real worship is giving our full selves to God, letting him be Lord. That is real worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. There's a pressure. We have to acknowledge it. There's a pattern that we have been in. There's a pattern that the world tries to push us into. And that's what's pulling away from lordship. That's what's pulling away is when we begin to conform into that space. But this is what happened. If we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, then we're going to be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We have a hard time seeing and recognizing his good, pleasing, and perfect will with an unrenewed mind. 
We're still looking at it through the old lens, through the old ways and say, no, this is the way it needs to be. You know, Lord, I just need you to kind of just give me a bump and kind of get me back on track. I don't need you to fully drive. I just need to give me a nudge and then I feel like I can take care of it. No, we need him to be Lord. But we have to, our minds have to be renewed so that we can see what is good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Otherwise, whoo, we're oblivious to it. We can't even recognize it when it shows up. And there's a space that I'm about to get into um, that nobody wants the preacher to get into. Like, nobody wants the preacher to talk about our stuff, our money, those things. Nobody wants to. But guess what? We're not taking up an offering. We're not going to shake you down. That's not happening. This is because this is a consistent point of pain for us. Because calling shotgun with our stuff can be one of our biggest challenges. There was honestly, there was a study released just this summer and the article that I'm referencing was published uh, August uh, the 1st. And so when they had done a study, not of Christians, just of American households in general. And uh, these American households in general, that 77% of Americans report feeling anxious about their financial situation. 77%, over three quarters. You know, and in, in a space like this, people who love Jesus and are walking with it and understand that he, he's, he's our provider and we can trust in him, that ought to be a little different number. It ought to be. But the truth is, is there's been enough studies and stuff done that it typically we're reflective of what's going on even in our culture on this space. It tends to be the same. And so if there's at least 77% of us in this room right now, listen to me right now, are feeling anxiousness about your financial situation. Well, don't we think that a loving God, a merciful God, would have something to say about it? Don't we think he would have some place that would want to be able to alleviate that and walk us into a place of freedom? Because we studied, we digged a little deeper, we'll recognize it's, it's not just about money. It's not just about resources. Because if you look and see, well, okay, well, maybe that 77%, and we know this isn't true, but maybe that 77% is kind of the bottom 77% of households in the U.S. You know, they just don't quite have enough money, and they're just struggling, so it's freaking them out, you know. And, and the top 23%, they've got more resources, and so, you know, they feel a little better about their financial situation. Okay, that's not true. There's financial worry across the board, okay. But let's just say that it was true, okay. Well, you, we go and we look, say, so where does percentile 77, where's, where's the cutoff, okay? When 2021, that cutoff is the most recent data we have. Those households were making $128,000 a year. No, actually, sorry, I said that, $129,800 a year. So there's these households that are making $10,817 a month and are anxious about their financial situation. It's not that all of a sudden, a few extra more, 500 more dollars a month isn't all of a sudden gonna fix it. Although, typically when we look at our budget, we think $500 extra a month, and I'm gonna be okay. And then you get 800 extra a month. And you look up and you're in the exact same situation, go, man, I wish I just made $500 more a month than I think we'd make it. 
I think would be okay. No, there's a problem because it gets into it. The study went on to reveal that 58% feel that finances control their lives. 58% of Americans feel like finances control their lives and 52% have difficulty controlling their money-related worries. Over half of the U.S. population recognizes there's a control problem. They recognize that. Well, we understand as believers, we understand control is about lordship. Who are we going to let be Lord? The people in this poll, they don't know. They don't know that it's a lordship issue. But they were instinctive enough to recognize it was a control issue. That it's a control issue. And so as we are looking at calling shotgun, even in the area of our stuff, there's a place where we have to begin to trust God in that space. If we want this space, the anxiety, the freak out, all that stuff to change, we're going to have to invite him into that space. We're going to look at a miracle. There are only two miracles in the Gospels, in all four Gospels that are recorded in all four. Only two miracles are recorded in all four Gospels. Okay? One of those miracles is the miracle of the resurrection. What makes sense if somebody's going to sit down and write write their gospel, the good news about Jesus, they're going to include the miracle of the resurrection. The fact that Jesus died and didn't stay that way, that's that's the headline, okay? You can't write a gospel without the miracle of the resurrection. So that one's... That one's a given. So it's kind of interesting that there's only one other miracle that's covered by all four Gospels. And if you've been around church for a little bit, then you will know about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. That's the one that's covered. Well, if the one that covers the biggest news of all time is covered in all four Gospels, the resurrection, one that's tied to our salvation, then maybe the other one that's covered in all four Gospels has some some significant meaning and something for us today as well. Let's look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. We're going to look at Matthew's version of this, and then we're going to jump into John's in just a minute. But here in Matthew 14, 13, he says, And when Jesus heard what had happened, now we need to understand right quick what had happened, okay? What had happened is that Jesus' cousin, fellow minister, the one that was to go before him, John the Baptist, the one that declared that Jesus was the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, the one who baptized Jesus, he's just been beheaded. That's the news that Jesus just gets. Jesus just gets the news that John the Baptist is beheaded. And so he takes his disciples and he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Jesus is doing one of the things he does on a regular basis. You look at the life of Jesus and he got alone with his father, got alone with God over and over and over again. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you want to do like Jesus, you have to get alone with God on a regular basis. You have to. Jesus did over and over and over again. His disciples recorded, all the gospels record multiple moments of him getting alone. When there was pressure, when there was all of these different things, 
he would go and drew near to God in this place of loss and grief. He's going to draw near to the Father and he's going to get alone and he's got his, his crew, his disciples with him. That's what he's going to do. But on hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. They heard that he was going away. He's in a boat. He's like not making it easy for anybody to follow him at that point. He's going to this solitary place privately. But they heard and they followed him. You ever tried to kind of take a break from things and regroup and your stresses just meet you there anyways? It's like, I can't, I can't get a break. I can't, I can't just take a breather. Well, here these, these people connect with God and I love the way that Jesus responds. The, 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 all of the gospel writers make it clear he is trying to get alone. And then in verse 14, or it says on here, oh, in verse 14, it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. There were moments where Jesus went to the crowd and there were moments where the crowd went to him. And here's one of these moments where his plan was to be alone with the Father. And then all of a sudden, these people who had needs, because he heals their sick, he meets their needs in that moment. He has compassion. He doesn't have frustration. And let's get this over with so I can be by myself with the Father. No, he has compassion. He cares and he begins to step in to meeting their needs. This is pivotal, folks. This is a pivotal moment because you and I can begin to fall into this little, this little lie that we begin to look at the needs of the world, all the pain and the suffering and all that and think, okay, those are noble things to pray about. But my, my little needs, my little frustrations, the pressures I'm dealing with financially and in just my life, they're not that bad. I don't, I don't have to take those. God, you've got your, you got your hands full. Jesus was, had a plan to get away. But when the needs showed up, he has compassion. I believe this is sealed up for us so that you and I always know he is never too busy to be able to minister to us. He is never, don't ever, ever, ever buy into the lie that somehow your stuff is too insignificant. That God's got more things his attention needs to be given to. No, his attention is limitless. He can give you attention and not neglect anything else. I can barely give attention to one thing. And I'm neglecting everything else. And that thing may change every 45 seconds. But he's not that way. He's not that way. See, the truth is he's a good shepherd. And he doesn't just know your name. He knows your pain. And here in uh, Psalms chapter 56, verse 8, says they list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? The ESV version says that you collect my tears in a bottle. He doesn't just know your name as a good shepherd. Praise God, he does. But he knows the name of your tears. He knows why you're frustrated, why you are, and there's a record of it in heaven. He recognizes in heaven that things are challenging in this space. 
If he's making a record of it in heaven, don't you think we ought to probably talk about what's going on earth? If heaven is paying attention to what's going on earth, shouldn't we take our earth stuff to heaven? Shouldn't we make a, have a conversation about it? We absolutely should. And that's what happens in verse, four, verse 15. It says, at the evening approach, the disciples came to him and said. The disciples came to him and said. If you go to Jesus and say, we call that prayer. We call it prayer. So here the disciples, Jesus happens to be there in the flesh. And so the disciples, this is, this is prayer. And they notice what they're praying about. They, they, they see a need. It says, this is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. They, he, they know, we got a crowd here. We're about to have a hangry crowd. Um, you know, there's just 12 of us, you know. I know we got you, Jesus, but, you know, there's, we're, you know we don't want to get ugly. We don't want this to get rough. Send them away so they can go get some food. Here is the thing is they saw a need for food and they developed their own plan to fix it and their prayer said I need you Jesus to execute my plan send them away so that they can go buy food that's a noble thing they're praying for these people to get the food that they need that's a noble thing but they have woven their plan on how that needs to happen. The food needed to be provided for. Get them away. Get them away. Jesus replies, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. There's a space where they wanted the situation to go away and Jesus wanted it them to be able to be a part of the solution of that. Sometimes the things we want God to just make go away, he wants to anoint us and use us to be able to bring the solution right there. We're just like, God, just make it go away. I just don't want this around anymore. And he says, no, I'm about to do something cool through you. And it's gonna be a new kind of answer that you can't even wrap your mind around. It says, you give them something to eat. And in verse 17, it says, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. He gave thanks, he broke, and he gave. We see this pattern show up in multiple places. We see it whenever he is with his disciples on the Last Supper, and he takes the loaf and says, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and then he says, take eat, this is my body given for you right after that he is arrested he gets taken away when he was in the garden he prayed and he gave thanks multiple times in his prayer he's arrested he is beaten 
His body is literally broken. His bones aren't broken, but his flesh is broken and ripped off. And then he is given as a sacrifice for you and I. Thanks and breaking and giving. It is this place over and over again to be able to step in to what God wants to do, something miraculous, something different. There's going to always be a place of gratitude. There's always going to be a place of, of, of a breaking. And it doesn't mean breaking our spirit and break it. It means that all of a sudden that things will begin to be able to use, be able to use chunks of these different things. That's the beauty of your testimony. Is God's going to be able to take a chunk of that and be a blessing to someone else. But you have to be willing to give it. You have to be willing to give your testimony, share what God has done in your life. Be grateful for the fact he's brought you through. Not just say that's something I want to forget about and never talk about again. No, I'm thankful, God, that was not the, that did not define my life. I'm now something else. And now as a part of my testimony, and I am thankful. And I'm going to break a chunk of my story off. And I'm going to give it to somebody else. Why? Because God is faithful and done a miracle in me. He can do a miracle in you. We see the pattern over and over and over again. And then verse 20 says, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Most theologians believe that there was bare minimum at least as many women and at least as many children as there were men. So it was bare minimum, low end, 15,000. Probably somewhere north of 20,000 was there that got fed out of this amazing moment. We just go down Knickerbocker and we go down to San Angelo Stadium over there. That seat's 17,500. That's, this crowd makes that place over, overflow its capacity. And Jesus ministered in this space with just a little bit. See, Jesus could have performed the miracle. He just could have, he could have performed it just what's referred to as next, ex nihilo, which is out of nothing. That was done with creation. God has performed out of nothing multiple times. But what we see here in this story that's sealed up in all four gospels is he doesn't like to do miracles ex nihilo, out of nothing. He likes to use what we have. He likes to do the miracle out of what we have. And so, trusting God with our stuff, it changes us. It now invites him in to that part of our lives. And you know your life revolves around your work, your wages, your, the, the things that you want to do and value it just as an integral part. So doesn't it make sense that God of creation would want to be a part of that and let it be the fullness of what it's called to be? Only John records where this loaves and fishes actually came from. All the other gospels, the other three gospels, all it's just, here's some five loaves and some two fish. So just like, they just kind of found them, like tripped over them or something. And so, but John records it. He says, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. and says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. 
but how far will they go among so many? There was a boy who had the food and was willing to give. He was willing to be generous. Now, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around that in a crowd of fifteen to 20,000 people, nobody had some snacks in their satchel of some kind. <gasps> like, nobody? <laughs> what says is there was one who was willing to give. There was one who was willing to trust Jesus with their stuff. And all of a sudden, that one being willing to trust with their stuff all of a sudden opened up a blessing for everybody involved. Here's what's cool, is even those who probably had some snacks in their stuff and just weren't gonna let it go, they got to eat like everybody else. That one person's generosity spilled over into places that maybe even some others were holding back. And God is just at work. But here's, here's one of the most beautiful things is that we see is that Jesus has had marked in, in Matthew chapter six, ah, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. See, there's, there's still gonna be a breaking. We can either give thanks and break and give, or we can try to lock it up and still face a breaking. Still face the things being removed, things not going the way we thought, the plan we said, God bless this plan, this is how I want it. And he's like, no, I want to do something else. Uh, Okay, never mind. No, I'm telling you, he wants us to be able to go his route. What, What is that? But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He knows that if you will begin to and let him be Lord even in your stuff, it'll affect your heart. It changes you. See, it's funny that some people, they feel uh, guilty about praying for their business, business owner, like, you know, praying about their business or some people feel guilty about praying over their job or their personal finances and those kinds of things and, and um, because it just seems to feel selfish. It seems to feel selfish to pray about those things. Um, but here's the truth. Let's, let's think about it like this. Let's, let's think about all of a sudden now we invite him to be Lord and we let him be Lord of everything in our lives. And so now he's the boss of this stuff. And so and now... This stuff, our business, is his, our job, our finance, our stuff is his. And we're stewards. Doesn't that change the way we feel about talking to him? It's not weird to talk to him about his stuff. It's not weird to talk to him about his business. Lord, how do you want this to go? How do, how do we begin to expand? How do we help provide more jobs for more people and care for people and do quality work that gives you glory and makes a difference in people's lives? Lord, how do I begin to, to deal with my boss and my clients and all these different things? Lord, because you're the one in control, it makes sense that I'm going to talk to him about things that are his. So many times we're reluctant to talk to him about it is because it feels selfish because it's ours. 
it's, no, this is my business. This is my stuff. And Lord, I'll happily give you here and there, but I'm not quite ready to let you be Lord fully in this space. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in love for us, all things as believers we want to excel at, is to see that you excel in this grace of giving. And that starts because gratitude sees where God has already been faithful. It's already been faithful. We start the, the, the thanks break give process with gratitude with being thankful because we see where he's already been faithful we see where he's already been good see the fact that there was somebody willing to give of their stuff in that moment was a miracle all by itself that that little boy's heart opened with generosity was already a point of provision And so now that that point of provision showed up, Jesus' miracle work and power gets placed on top of that. And all of a sudden, thousands and thousands begin to get blessed out of it. And for time's sake, we're going to jump down to that God always gets better results. And in verse 12, it says, when they had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. So that they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves and left over, and the, a leftover by those who had eaten. 12 basketfuls. Started out with five little loaves and two fish and now there's baskets full and the scripture don't say it but I'm pretty sure one of those baskets ended up being given to that little boy and he walks home going mama you're never gonna believe what happened to my lunch <laughs> we we got some, we're gonna be able to eat for a little bit I believe he ended up with one that's just my speculation but there ended up being so much that everybody ate to the full everybody ate to the full and there were leftovers I don't know how things would have gone with the disciples' plan. Turn them loose, let them go buy food. I don't know how that would have turned out. But you turn fifteen to 20,000 people onto a little thing, I don't know how much extra bread is laying around, the pandarillas around there, but I don't think there's going to be that much. I don't know that everyone would have been able to eat to the full and there would have been leftovers. But Jesus' way of doing it, his results were way better. Were way better. It's not bad for you to have a plan. It's not bad for you to have a thought. The problem of lordship is who gets the final say? Who gets the final say? And that's what we want to focus on. 2 Corinthians 9 8 says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God wants us to step into a deeper place of generosity, to step into that. Our bottom line is this, is that loosening our grip on stuff, it tightens our grip on peace. It changes us on the inside when we begin to trust him with the stuff that's on our outside. It changes it. And I want to create a quiet moment here and now because we want to talk about the most valuable thing in the universe and it's the only thing heaven ever bought and heaven didn't pay for 
stuff. Yeah. Pay for people. Yes. Paid for you. And to pay for me. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.